Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Madness is just about to take control here as Filmically Perfect hits the airwaves on 91.3 WYSO. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of Filmically Perfect as we get prepared to have the scary month settle in. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome via the phone lines today Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress and uh, all-around vessel container of all things film, George <laughs> Williman. George, Welcome. Hello, Nikki Dakota. <laughs> it's pretty good. Also sitting with me in the flesh in the lovely and sunny, beautiful studios of WYSO. It is nitrate. No, no, not. Nitrate's a storyboard artist? I think not. Pin, ink, paper, and yeah, sheer elbow I don't elbow believe grease. we've ever done nitrate storyboards before. <laughs> they don't thing. need to make a movie, then. You heard it on Filmically Perfect. It is the storyboard artist to all the big stars, Coen Brothers, for 20 years and running, plus some really cool films in between. He's uh, our friend as well, J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, thanks for being here. Oh, pretty. Nikki Dakota. Oh. It almost makes me think that the, uh, the, uh, there are some other films that have uh, taken Yet knots still another on take on the Frankenstein yes. narrative here with In, the Rocky yep. Horror Picture Show. We're gathered here today to talk about this. Uh, what, George, what year was this film out? 1975. Okay, so 75, and here we are, 30-plus years Don't on. remind me! <laughs> Stop it! And to this day, there are people that not only have this thing memorized uh, from beginning to end, every single aspect. <laughs> and I am not one of those people. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> But they can uh, can interact with uh, with uh, portions they're, they're of the dialogue friends. as well. There's so much to this. But first, let's uh, remind all that this is not some capricious fly-by-night willy-nilly uh, assessment of films. But uh, there are well, this, very... this one is particularly capricious, actually. <laughs> it is. Oh, is there... <laughs> if you look up the word "camp" in the dictionary, you're gonna find little stools from this movie. <laughs> this is a perfectly camp campy movie wouldn't you say george uh it's it, it defines camp i think in a lot of ways but they are there are rules well you know perfection is 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 <laughs> everywhere in movies and this just happens to fill the bill because it creates the world exists in oh we gotta have those there, oh, we, there go. we go here yeah rocky horror picture show creates the world it exists in and it totally sustains that world and regardless of changes in our society it still retains its meaning and entertainment value and unlike all those other low-class uh, groups, this uh, <laughs> film is not related or, or relegated by any uh, numerical system. It stands on its own two feet. Boy, does it ever. Or three feet, maybe. Yeah. My guess is that after, you know, some really terrible, you know, global warming event where the whole 
continent sink somewhere, you're going to hear this thing. So it'll be one of the first things that people come together in groups yeah. and begin when the arts get reinstated, they'll be performing. When they Rocky dig Ball up Picture in our show. history three million years from now, they're going to dig up this disc first. And it's gonna, right. This is what's going to happen. This is what Earth was like in the 20th century. <laughs> this oh, is no. how they behave. No wonder the place no. melted down. <laughs> This even, I mean, it, it has just taken on so much beyond its its original. Um, uh, just let's just say the, the sum of its parts. It now has this whole emergent other life. But if it's possible, in a nutshell, uh, George Willeman, can you give us a little bit of the plot of the action in this movie? Yeah, it's a lot I mean, of action. <laughs> the plot, such as it is, is about a young, very uh, very white American couple, uh, Brad and Janet. Damn it. Uh, damn it. who, who uh, <laughs> have a flat tire and make their way back to a castle uh, and want to use a telephone. And it a turns castle. out a that castle. they're huh. a, and they, uh, a Don't forget they do of, their little up with people kind of um, I'm in love, you're in love kind of thing, which is absolutely spectacular. It's a musical often movie. Overlooked. Yeah, we haven't really even said yeah. out flat right. This is a musical. The damn it, Janet, up with people kind of song. Right. The... Um, when they get in the castle, they, they interrupt this uh, celebration by this group, and uh, it turns out the head of their group, who's also a scientist, may or may not have had uh, something to do with their being caught in the forest. So He's a rival scientist. Yes. He sh- well, no, he shows them uh, this creature that he's built, this sort of bodybuilder with blonde hair, uh, who is also going to be like his love slave. And uh, <laughs> they find that they are pretty much trapped in this house now and to their surprise they are visited by a teacher friend of theirs who is bound in a wheelchair who is looking for his nephew who had previously been the uh the uh, head of the transylvanians love slave uh who he kills with a pickaxe and this, this and movie is not dissimilar to Louis Bunuel's uh, <laughs> Exterminating Angel, folks. For those of you who think we have sold out, just think about that movie when you're comparing this movie. Exterminating Angel, okay, for the, you really critical thinkers out there. Right, and they, basically, yeah, these, these characters end up sort of trapped in this, this world that has been created and, and actually eventually sort of end up giving in to the, the constant barrage of sensuality that is offered to them. To the point well that, that by the end of the movie, they're all destroyed by it. But it's because the music's so good. Those four-bar hooks get them, man, and they just go for it. The music is notable. Uh, uh, George, do you know anything about the backstory on, on who did the music? Some of it's really catchy. Well, yeah, actually, the little humpback guy in the movie. He's yeah, the Richard man. O'Brien, who plays Riff Raff, the, uh, the butler, basically, the kind of long, scraggly-haired butler. He's supposed to be the humpback in the yeah, narrative. The hunchback. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he wrote this as a stage show back in the early 70s, and uh, it was quite a hit in, in London, and uh, Lou Adler, who's the producer of the film, brought it over to America and convinced 20th Century Fox to turn it into a movie. Now, the this director in, that, in, this, in this show was Jim Sharman, and he had his roots with uh, the Jesus Christ superstar traveling roadshows in England, and that's where he got his chops. Oh, interesting. And he also directed the stage show. In fact, this is one of the few uh, stage-to-music or stage-to-film transformations that pretty much maintained the entire cast. And it is pure, too. All the the characters in the movie are played by the people who played them on stage. 
It seems like once you set that role, it, it makes sense that, I mean, once you, who else could step into this? It is so bizarre. Um, I don't know if we should yet get into this extra thing before we sort of sum up the plot, but I, I have a very clear... Oh, dude, we could clear, spend hours summing up this honestly, plot. <laughs> I have a very clear, distinct uh, memory that will forever be burned in my brain of the first time I saw this movie, which would have been in the 80s, the late 80s, right. um, at a mall uh, cinemaplex at midnight and 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 i just i don't know whether i should even mention well, any of I, it yet it seems to me that most people's early memories of this film somehow involve either getting wet or getting <laughs> uh like bread or rice or or toilet paper thrown at them or but this or just keep publicly, in mind publicly humiliated up in front of a theater full of people yep. keep in mind folks this is the granddaddy of midnight movies this is the movie that really set the till uh, just set it going in motion for midnight movies as uh, it's kind of faded out but back in the late 70s midnight movies were really hot and this was the granddaddy wouldn't you say george oh it definitely is i mean there were midnight movies but this one sort of took on a life of its own so and then, it did... from then on there were like there were midnight movies and then there was rocky horror picture show yeah <laughs> it didn't really make money until it hit the midnight circuit. right it, in fact it was a it was a flop it was a huge flop when it came out i mean people <laughs> Mainstream America was not ready for anything like this. Yeah, and this is 1975, you know, so they are having a little hard... I mean, just think about the the topics that they cover in this movie. Even when there's I remember seeing homosexuality, it. there's transvestites, there's uh, infidelity, there's Not that there's murder. anything wrong with that. No. <laughs> as Jerry Seinfeld says. There's, uh, there's a lot here. And it's interesting to me that it originally was a flop. And George or, or J. Todd, do you know, when did it make that jump? Was it originally set well, out that it should be an audience participation film? No, or not, this not spring at all. Up? In fact, uh, there were some people at Fox who were trying to find out, trying to figure out what to do with it. And they got this idea of trying to promote it as a midnight movie, get it out in there. And it was actually April Fool's Day, 1976. Hmm. It opened at a midnight movie at the Waverly Theater in Greenwich Village, New York. Now, where better than Greenwich Village to, to, have, to find acceptance for this movie? Hmm. And, and people still and sure dress enough, like that movie there to this day. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, it's, no, it's not still. It probably is still playing in Greenwich Village somewhere, but it played at the Waverly, and that's where... The whole thing started. You know, I remember, I remember when they were doing this live thing where they interacted with a movie, and and I was in the, I was working in the movie business at that time, and I was kind of enamored by the fact that these people were trying to jump into that picture. Yep. And and you'd talk to them, and after the show, and they'd be in their costume regalia. Any other time, they would be a little bashful uh, doing that. But, you know, they were just as bold as they could be. they look you dead in the eye. Yes, I'm Frankenfurter. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm Magenta. Yes. Uh, and I am the monster, you know. And it was always some guy who was out of shape and everything, wearing a little bikini brief, you know. Was, you know I think, can't you go to the you know, weightlifting store or something and get a, get yourself a good monster for this show. <laughs> We're talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. And so it was April 1st, 1976, that this whole other life of this movie uh, began. And I'll just tell you that uh, the person I went with who took me, who had seen the movie many, many times, just would not tell me what to expect. And he knew full well that it was going to be mind-altering people had a hard time explaining this stuff because they were so involved <laughs> now when you when you went the first time yes. did, did he point you out as a virgin yes he did yes. that's, one, so that's, that's one of the big things about it people who go for the first time especially if they go with friends 
the friends immediately point them out to the rest as virgins, and that's when they get taken up front yep. and get publicly humiliated. I'm telling you what. sort of their baptismal fire. I will never forget it. And then the fact that I just had, I had never experienced anything of the kind, that uh, people representing each of the different cast members, and I got the feeling that these were regulars, that this happened every, you know, midnight showing. These same people would come and stand up against the movie screen and basically run off and on as the characters came in and out of the actual film celluloid version there and, and repeat the, the lines verbatim. I, I often talk about the suits around the table and the marketing discussions and how they, they've never quite figured things out. But can you imagine that this wasn't even on their radar screen when they were marketing this picture? Some Maybe some guy stands up, hey, what if everybody dresses up and goes <laughs> to the theater and acts like the characters? And you can just tell, well, yeah, sure, sit down, Phillips, you know, and we'll, we'll move through the rest. George, Nobody could ever dream yeah. of how these people made this movie successful. It, it, was it? Completely organic, or did they pass out scripts initially? Do you know, George? I believe it was completely organic. It just kind of built itself. Unbelievable. And so then when certain characters come out, you say certain things every time. And like right. the, None of which we can repeat on the air. None. <laughs> None. And the movie itself is not particularly foul, uh, potty-mouthed, is it? There's, I think, I think they dropped of... the f bomb once yeah. during a song. Yeah. Okay. okay. Just the, you but know, it the... goes by really fast. <laughs> the bizarre structure of this movie is is something to always behold. How they just meander away in their narrative, and like at the end when they're in front of the, uh, uh, the RKO. RKO, it's like an they make constant homage to old Hollywood musicals and old a lot of King Kong and Fay Ray. But yeah, you know, if for those of you out there who who uh, know a little bit about RKO, they were very famous for their big dazzling. Uh, dance things with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and there were always these massive pull-up crane shots that showed people dancing off the ceiling everywhere they were who did the Fred Astaire in the room dancing on the ceiling was that RKO George? No that was actually that was actually later when he went to MGM but yeah but the, uh, yeah, the, the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers films had a lot of very groundbreaking visual visuals excuse me and they were big I mean visually very, very glossy. big and you can just tell that the the people were enamored enamored by these this this musical thing that kind of fade away not a lot of people talk about RKO's history in this 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 stuff with musicals that they used to just kick out in the 30s and uh, I think the, these this movie here is paying a lot of homage to that studio Plus, right. it's really well, not smart just the, not just the RKO musicals but also King Kong which yeah. was their big, uh, huge it's, hit. It, uh, all their lyrics, and, and it's mentioned at least twice in this movie, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, at least, yeah. So it's sort of like a send-up, but then I'm telling you what, these uh, <laughs> it, it holds up in its own right. I do have uh, Sweet Transvestite queued up here just for a little uh, musical interlude fun. Shall we hear a bit of that? Brad, please, let's get out of here. For God's sake, keep a grip on yourself, Janet. But it's, it seems unhealthy here. It's just a party, Janet. Well, I want to go. Well, we can't go anywhere till I get to a phone. Well, then ask a butler or someone. Just a moment, Janet. We don't want to interfere with their celebrations. This isn't the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. They may do some more folk dancing. Look, I'm cold, I'm wet, and I'm just plain scared. I'm here. There's nothing to worry about. Do I see you've met my faithful hand in hand? He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. 
I just want to say the first time uh, that I saw this movie about when this song hit, I was scared to death. <laughs> I tell you, when you watch Tim Curry really do it like nobody Shoot. else can do it, uh, right. there is a good reason for that. It's because he did it on the stage. Uh, well, that yeah, that's and, that's and one he's doing he's hit, hits all his numbers and he does yep. it with absolute perfection in this. That's movie. one of my one of the big things about this movie. This is Tim Curry's movie, and he just takes when he gets on screen. There's no one else on there. I mean, it's, he just he just. Mesmerizing. He up this film and and spits it out, and he's just as an actor so much in control of his part. It's, and yeah, and he, the great thing that the, the thing you got to admire Jim Sharman for is knowing that and letting him do his bit. Whew, he sure did. You know, one of the things I really like is Barry Boswick, who later became Mister Made for Television on Spin and, City, and uh, yeah, he City. is like the uh, alpha male sci-fi guy. Right. So it's like, <laughs> it's like he's <laughs> able to step out and just do his character like every alpha male sci-fi guy in the 50s. And it's okay. If it's right into this movie, it's fine. <laughs> and then before Susan Sarandon um, became, well, it's just not before as exciting. Before actress, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> yes. Before she was showing her handcuffs to the camera and things right. like that. Mm-hmm. She was... Dazzling. Yeah, she really was. And she's uh, scantily clad. Oh, uh, yes, that's why we went. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because it seems like the the actors in this were so good that they virtually got typecast. Uh, in, in many ways, Susan Sarandon's really the only one that sort of busted out and went on. Poor Barry, what's his name? Barry Boswick. Boswick. I mean, that was many years be- between this movie and what he eventually did. Yeah, Tim Curry occasionally shows up as a villain, but it's always Frankenfurter. Yeah, you know? he will always be that. It's almost a curse and a blessing at the same time. We're talking about uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show on 91.3 WYSO, a movie that uh, transcends movies. I'll say, as far as the rules go, um, rule three, this blows it out of the water that it sustains itself. Just Oh, yeah, I mean... Well, not only has it sustained itself, but it's like society has caught up with it. Ooh, yeah. We were talking earlier about, you know, in 75, the film didn't do well with mainstream audiences because of a lot of the taboo subjects that it, it shows and tackles. But our society, in quotation marks, has now sort of dipped down <laughs> to hey. the point where, where it's, you know, it's on a level playing field now. It's hard to tell who's lapping who here, the movie or our culture. <laughs> yeah. Which one is in the lead lap? Uh, it's not unheard of. You can go anywhere and see people kind of dressed up like this on a normal basis, especially, mm-hmm. you know, Melrose Avenue. You know, that's where it's very easy to see. But here in, in Ohio, you still see people, uh, you think... Very, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show when you see them. Halloween like is that. coming up, and you will see, um, I invariably will see at least one character from uh, uh-huh. this movie. And, and sometimes even among younger children. Like, I have seen uh, Frankenfurter painted on a, on a six-year-old. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> so Not they, mine. <laughs> they can even get away with the name Frankenfurter in this movie. That's, yeah. that's really astounding. Uh, so as far as the rules go, I, I have to say, uh, Made in Spades on this one definitely creates the world. Now, all you fans out there, and we know how rabid you are, we understand 
and we know that we can't please you guys. So we're, we're making <laughs> mistakes here because we there's obviously details that we're going to move over here. And you got to tell us, you know, because we, we need to learn these things, too. Uh, we <laughs> do know one thing. It's a perfect movie. You know, you can get, you know, as snooty as you want. And, you know, you didn't say this. You didn't. Do but we, the film guys, and Nikki's secret to go to ring, knows <laughs> that this is a perfect movie. And what other show can you listen to? That will speak of Rocky Horror Picture Show and To Kill a Mockingbird on the same That's right. level. Last week we did Strangers on a Train. Compare that villain to this villain. We're always interested in hearing from listeners, truly. We'd just love to uh, get your opinions, suggestions, uh, bones to pick, whatever you have. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Please we, drop us a line. We realize what a sensation this movie has created, and we understand that your passion toward this movie. So, you know, go ahead and, and feel free to educate us on this a little bit. And here's, here's a, little, a little tidbit that I wanted to throw in here. I think... That the story is supposed to take place in Ohio. Of course. <laughs> oh, is that true? <laughs> because in, I, I don't know, I haven't been able to confirm this, but in the scene where Brad and Janet are driving away from the wedding at the beginning, she is reading The Plain Dealer, which is like the Cleveland hey. newspaper. And there really wouldn't be any reason for her reading that if they weren't expecting to make, put it in Cleveland. And I think the town of Denton is supposed to be in Ohio. How about that? I wonder. Don't know that right offhand. Yeah. If someone out there does know that or knows that not to be true, please let us know. Well, that all feeds yeah. into this whole Dayton has something in the water thing. That's it's, right. uh, <laughs> you know, two things that I, I didn't want to let go by, uh, go before we get finished is um, there, there are some strange cinematic structure in this movie, which I really like. There's not a lot of it's very well shot like a musical uh, it's, it really has perfection in in how they've set it up and shot it um it doesn't look like a lot of these pictures do they're just they kind of lose their momentum kind of fall all over the place but there's some great stuff where meatloaf just crashes in out of nowhere we haven't even mentioned meatloaf yeah. and mm -hmm. then and then they of course eat him but after <laughs> they they go through his child baby album and in bizarrely talk about how much they miss him i think yeah. uh, and and then the one of my favorite conventions in this picture is is this record keeper guy who's supposed to be a criminologist, but he looks like a record keeper in some old town who who is able to figure out you know who was in the Civil War and who wasn't. And and he doesn't have a neck. <laughs> <laughs> he has no they neck. They keep cutting to him, and he pulls down these window shades, a little <laughs> stuff to the left. It's really funny yeah. stuff. <laughs> and oh, he's, I mean, and having him in there, I don't know if he was in the original play, but. He's a perfect example of sort of their, their, their love of film because Charles Gray, who plays the criminologist, was in several uh, Bond movies, James Bond movies, playing a kind of stuffy character like that. So to English audiences especially, he would have been yeah. well-known. Very he serious hits, actor. And whenever he hits the stage, everyone shouts, boring. That's yeah. the audience. Also, every time. Yeah, they yell every about time. His, the lack of having a neck. And they tried yeah. to re <laughs> They tried to recreate the magic with this movie called The Shock Treatment not too long after the same kind of the same entourage and the, and he's in it. But uh -huh. um, well and, and Shock Treatment is a perfect example of how lightning will not strike twice mm -hmm. in the same place because unless you're at the WYSO studios. I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hey, hush up. There'll be a bolt out of the clear blue You're sky. Get a bullet pulled there. Oh, my childhood memories. Um, but no, I, you know, after the, you know, when the success of 
Rocky Horror became so evident, you know, Fox, the, again, the suits around the table were going, well, let's try this again. So they hired <laughs> all the you? same people. I mean, the famous Richard suit scene, remember? Phillips, great, give yeah. us your idea again. <laughs> Richard O'Brien wrote it. Uh, Jim Sharman directed it. Uh, many of the cast from the original one are in there. In fact, the Brad and Janet characters are in it. And it came out, and they pushed it as a midnight movie, and it went Boy, it tanked. I remember when it came out as a midnight movie because I was very excited. Everybody excited, I thought, yeah. Oh, it's the Rocky Horror Picture mm-hmm. Show people. And then we went in there and just kind of, yeah. Didn't but throw anything, really, didn't it's get It's a wet. guy. It's a guy. Yeah, it's the same yeah, guy. Having yeah, having seen yeah, it yeah, recently, yeah. it is a really interesting film and probably needs to be reevaluated. Because it's probably it, more in tune with what's going on now because yeah, everybody is ensconced about, by television all the time. Right. And this, this need to be in an entertainment venue, whenever yeah. writers write anything in Hollywood, it's not a bus driver. It's not somebody who runs a crane. No. They're television writers. They're news people. They're this is George really smartly written, isn't it? I mean, with yes, the references is. and it's, it's 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 exceptionally well done. This guy and had he done anything before? Richard O'Brien. Yeah, and, and not that I'm aware of. I Amazing. think uh, he's mainly mainly was known as an actor and has continued on as an actor since then. I mean, he's in he's in Flash Gordon. And he's in uh, the movie Revolution, and you know, he was that Flash goes, Gordon or Flesh Gordon? <laughs> Flash. Okay, because there was two of those. Yeah, there was Flesh. No, this is Ooh. Flash. Um, you know, and that music that he, uh, him, and Charmin put together for this show, some of the breaks in that movie music is really good. It's I well mean, done. The, the the melodies are just terrific. They're catchy, and yeah, uh, and they were obviously O'Brien is obviously a major rock and roll '50s rock and roll fan. Oh yeah, because he's got those those lines and rhythms and melodies just down pat. And the songs are a lot of fun. Yeah, they got that leader of the pack kind of feel when when Susan Sarandon's singing, and uh, they have that you know Johnny don't kill him kind of feel, <laughs> and uh, hot rods to hell and kind of feel. And, and meatloaf is in this movie. This was his debut. Right. It had to have been I, long I before was, yes. Two Out of Three Ain't Bad and Bad Out of Hell. He was uh, he was already uh, yeah yeah he was already in. known for those and yeah this was his again he was also in the stage version. I think that he's one of the guys who has actually beaten the rap on this picture because they don't always identify him with, with. this movie, unlike Susan Sarandon <laughs> and that poor Barry guy. Uh. Barry. Poor Barry guy. <laughs> poor Barry. <laughs> It's filmically perfect, and we're talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show on 91.3 WYSO, and so much more to get into about this movie, but we are running out of time. I wanted to uh, reiterate the rules that it absolutely creates this world, even though it's using sort of these time-worn, you know, scary, spooky uh, story uh, iconography, still, it just it just strikes out on just its a stunning very evolution own. of it's, the yeah, same it's thing. Sort of the, the mixing and, and crossbreeding and... and amalgamating of all these different elements into something new. And it definitely sets that out. It sustains and, and it. And one last comment. Young Frankenstein was made not too long before this. I think somewhere I think in a that, year before. Yeah, so these are two time. kind of different attacks on the same narrative, Young Frankenstein, which is very literal. And this one's well, you know, a little into the weeds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and it uh, sustains it throughout. I'd have to say, and despite the fact that I was at risk of being hit with rice or toast or water at any time, that first viewing, I was just absolutely mesmerized. I mean, I had never seen anything like it. And again, the testament to its, uh, its uh, prescribing to rule number three, its relevance is absolutely undiminished as far as I can tell. And that's kind of scary in some <laughs> respects. 
we might be able to outrun this movie. We I'm gonna might do be a, able to. I'm going to do a Frankenfurt account this Halloween to see, uh, see how many I see walking around. No question right. about it. Gentlemen, we are almost out of time. We're Drop gonna, us a line at perfectmovie.net. Sure love to hear it. Check out all kinds of uh, downloads available for you there. Also at iTunes and at npr.org. George Williman, thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Are we going to tip the tip the hand for next week? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so stay tuned. Another top secret movie. Something <laughs> scary, though. Something Ooh, scary. scary. Very scary. You're listening to 91.3 WYSO. J. Todd Anderson, thank you. It's always my pleasure. Nikki George, Dakota. see you next time around. Filmically Perfect on YSO. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.